on the Immersion Commission. And we're looking at the Great Commission in the sense of baptism. And so we want to take you there once again. And I want to show you what God is saying through the Great Commission so that we can have that uh, understanding of what God wants to do. And what I want you to look at this morning is the victorious church. The victorious church. We have been immersed, if you will, in a doctrine and in a theology about an escapism with the church. And a rapture escape in the sense that when it gets rough, we're getting out of here. And I want to tell you that God has a victorious church in mind for the end of the age. Not one that escapes and runs away when danger and trouble comes. So what I want to present to you is the Great Commission in its purpose and plan. How many of you remember what the Great Commission is? Jesus said this, All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So who's in charge? Yeah, Jesus, right? All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Could I ask you a real quick question? If and when the Antichrist rises to power, who is in control of planet earth? Oh, thank you. Very good. Okay, because a lot of the church, you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't recognize that. So who sits on the throne of glory? And who reigns in his majesty? Jesus. No matter what governing ruler or power or authority rises politically in the earth, Jesus rules and reigns. He says, all authority and power is given unto me in all the earth, therefore go, right, into all nations, making disciples, immersing them in the identity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm speaking more to the original Greek than I am in your English translations. If you'd really like to know, the reason the early English never got translated from the Greek word baptizo is because there was a conflict in theology at the time the English translators were coming over. Because most of the English church, English-speaking church at that time was sprinkling, and they did not want to translate the Greek word baptizo into immersion because it would have caused conflict in their doctrine. But the original sense of that declaration is go into all nations, immersing them in the name or in the authority or in the presence, in the identity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. That's the Great Commission. Jesus' expectation of that Great Commission is this, and lo, I will be with you till the end of the age. In other words, this authority, this power that I have that covers all earth, heavens, and below the earth is with you to accomplish this commission, and I will be with you all the way till the end till it gets done. What about that for an expectation? Jesus actually expects the church to preach the gospel into all nations with an immersion into the presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he will return to a glorious inheritance. Anybody? Anybody? Good. Okay. (laughs) Uh, My slide's a little off here this morning, but Habakkuk says this, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, what? As the waters cover the sea. That sounds like a baptism to me. That sounds like an immersion to me. Isaiah 9.10 or 
11.9 also says that same verse. As the waters cover the sea, the knowledge of God. And so Jesus is in keeping with the prophetic declaration that the church is going to go forth and immerse this world in a knowledge of God. And that's what the Great Commission says. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth and below the earth. Now, let me take you to uh, Acts chapter 2, first of all, and read this. Uh, In Acts 2, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, and in Acts chapter 2, verse 34, he says this, exalted, Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. It's a declaration to Israel, understand this, Jesus is Lord and Messiah. Israel, learn this, know this, that's what's going to happen. And he said this, that he will sit at my right hand until I make his enemies his footstool. All right? So he's going to bring the nations to a knowledge of the lordship and messiahship of Jesus Christ. That's the plan, everybody. Okay? That's the plan. There's a harmonious plan from prophecy of the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning on his throne as the Lord of Lord, King of Kings, ruler and Messiah over this planet Earth. He's going to bring and sit on that throne until he makes all his enemies his footstool. That's the commission. That's our job. Everybody got your assignment? To go forth and make Jesus Lord and Christ over all the earth, over your household, over your block, over this community, that we would bring and immerse this presence of Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, into this place. That's our job. That's the commission. Now we go on. Turn with me to Acts 15. In Acts 15, they're at the Jerusalem Council. They're really beginning to unwrap what God is doing and saying on planet earth through the risen Lord who has ascended on high and is in his session. Now that's the theological term for the reign of Jesus Christ. The session of Christ. Christ is in his session. When a king is seated on his throne, he is at rest. He is at rest and his authority rules and reigns. And so as he's sitting on his throne, he is in his session. In other words, everything that is taking place is under the authority and power of Jesus Christ. See, uh, we have gotten to this place where we have considered Jesus is afar off. He's waiting for something to happen. Antichrist is coming. Would he please pull the plug? Get us out of here when it gets bad enough. What kind of a church is that? What kind of a glorious reign of Jesus Christ is that? 
Now you've got to begin to understand this. And so as in the Jerusalem council, they're trying to figure out what's going on. The nations, Gentiles, are coming to a knowledge of the Lord. And so they begin to ask. And in Acts 15, verse 15, James stands up after listening to Peter and listening to Paul and hearing what the Holy Spirit's doing. He says in Acts 15, 15, after this, I will return and rebuild David's tabernacle or David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name. So he is going to restore that place of worship that David had that was open to all people. It wasn't set behind the holy of holies in the holy place. David brought the presence of God in the midst of the people. That was his tabernacle. Praise and worship day and night for all people to see the presence of God. And James says, this is that. This is this. This is cool. Amos taught us about this. We're here. Don't you want to be in a we're here moment? We're here. The presence of God is here. It's open now. Immersing them what? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're here! Immersing them, baptizing nations for the fullness of the time of the nations as they come to Christ. We're here! This is it. Peter said these are the last days. That was 2,000 years ago. I think we're really into it now. We're here. This is that. All that was prophesied, this is it. This is the glorious time of his church. This is the glorious time of the ingathering of nations. Immersing, going forth, teaching, discipling. Listen, this is what church history has always taught. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Let me share with you some church history. This is origin from 185 to 254 AD. It is evident that every form of worship will be destroyed except the religion of Christ, which will alone prevail. And indeed, it will one day triumph and its principles take possession of the minds of men more and more every day. That's his sense of what the church is going to accomplish and the kingdom of God is going to do. Yeah, but pastor, that's in the first centuries first two centuries. Can I tell you something? That the concept of the church throughout all its history until the 20th century was a concept that the kingdom of God is going to fill the earth and bring the nations to Christ. Then we developed this rapture mentality in the United States and Western thought to where we're all failed, it's all doomed, the enemy's going to take over and I hope we make it out of here. A real defeatist attitude. Here's what Jonathan Edwards said in the 1700s. The visible kingdom of Satan shall be overthrown and the kingdom of Christ set up on the ruins of it everywhere throughout the whole habitable globe. The kingdom will be established. This is what John Wesley said. All unprejudiced persons may see with their eyes that he, God, is already renewing the face of the earth. And we have strong reason to hope that the work he hath begun he will carry unto the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what the day of the Lord Jesus Christ is? When he returns in glory. In other words, he's gathering the nations, gathering the nations. And he will be with us, ruling and reigning until that day. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. I myself believe that King Jesus will reign and the idols be utterly abolished. But I expect the same power which turned the world upside down once 
will still continue to do it. The Holy Spirit would never suffer suffer the imputation to rest upon His holy name that He was not able to convert the world. They had an expectation that the King shall rule and reign, that this globe is changing and being changed from glory to glory, coming to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. That's the preaching of the good word. Let me share it to you as Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven. Everybody say that with me. The kingdom of heaven. One more time. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. What's he saying about the kingdom? It started with 12. It is going to grow and increase to where it will be the greatest and biggest tree, the greatest kingdom in all the earth. It's reminiscent of Daniel chapter 9, uh, no, chapter 2, where the stone hone out of the mountain crushes the political systems of earth when Christ comes. But before that, it's a tree that is growing to fill the whole earth. He says, he told them still another parable, it goes on. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, two very simple illustrations. What do they mean? What is this strange, deep thing he's saying it's not that strange and deep it's the kingdom's gonna start and it's gonna fill the earth that's why he said all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth and throughout the world now therefore go make this all happen what is so hard about this the expectation is there that because i have put my spirit in you Your presence in the earth is my body, which is growing and growing and growing till my body will fill the whole earth. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, good. We're we're good. I just want to make sure that we're connected. Let me share some statistics with you. 200,000 people are born again every day in China. No, I'm sorry. 200,000 are born again every day in the world. 200,000 are born every day in the world. In China, it's 20,000 per day. In South Africa, it's 35,000 per day. More than a million per week. About 50,000 Christians baptized every week in Africa alone. More than 2 billion people claiming Christ in the world today. While the population of the world increases year by year at a staggering rate, the growth of Christianity is also growing at a staggering rate. Collectively, the worldwide church is the largest organization on earth with branches in every part of the world. We don't hear that and we don't pay attention to that, but Christianity is the largest religion and the fastest growing. And of that, denominationally, Pentecostal charismatic is the leading edge because it's bringing the presence of Christ, the immersion of Christ into the world. Those are staggering amounts. 
that over 2 billion people, there are 6.7 people, uh, billion people, people, billion people on the earth, 2 million of which are Christians. And so even though, as you see this growth chart in population, even though world population is increasing at alarming rates, Christianity is growing as well, staying with that population growth. Can you praise God for that? So as people are being born, they're also being born again. That's about 35%. 35% of the world is Christian. And I believe it's going to continue. Now, here's the difference. Where it's growing is in the southern hemisphere and in third world countries. Used to be that the first world of Europe and Americas were, in 1970, where uh, the population was. But there is an outpouring and, if, if I can say it, an immersion of the Holy Spirit that is taking place in the southern hemispheres, in China, in South Africa, in South America, in Latino countries, and in third world countries. Christ is moving. Can I tell you why? Because I already told you. He's immersing people in the presence of God. But it's not happening here because of a couple reasons. One, we're so intellectually smart. We don't need God. We've asked him to please leave. We've escorted him out with our guards in the schools. We don't need you anymore. We need guards and metal detectors. Right? Nice exchange, right? Could I tell you that I think the second influence in this is, is what I really believe is that escapism theory? That whole sense, because as the Spirit of God was moving, we began to intellectually say uh, and give more credence to an antichrist and a demonic ruling power that we're all afraid of. Could you imagine if they described the early church in the terms of Nero? Nero is a type of antichrist. Nero persecuted and wiped out many, many Christians. He used to torch them and use them as lights on his back porch when he had chariots races. He would tire them up on on poles and ignite them to light up his backyard. He would crucify them regularly. He threw them to the lions. It was the entertainment of the day to watch Christians being killed. But it's funny when you read the story and the history of Christianity in the church, we're not focused on Nero. We're not focused on the atrocities he did. We're focused on a church that was alive and burning with fire for the sake of the gospel, not because of a madman. Why are we looking at the book of Revelation as this horrible, horrendous time where we're all got to get out of here because it's going to be terrible instead of the glorious reign and rule and revelation of who Jesus is? Much of the attitude is going to have its impact on our community. We have basically but said, he's coming, man of perdition's coming, let's just hold on till we're taken out. What kind of an attitude is that? It's not a kingdom attitude. The kingdom of our God. The kingdom of this, na- this world shall become the kingdoms of our God. And so, can I tell you that as persecution rises, in fact, the church increases? That's typically why there's a rise in Christianity in third world countries because persecution has increased there. And guess what grows with persecution? the church the church now let's take a quick look at these end times and see what's going on 
so that you see a victorious church, a church full of power. I want you poised and ready. I want us to be a people who are ready to reach out in this nation and in this community with a message that is victorious and glorious and have a mindset and an attitude. We're going to win this city for Christ despite what's taking place because that's our commission and that's the immersion of pre- in the presence of Christ. Let me read to you Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. Those of you being baptized, you are dismissed at this time. Hebrews 12, 26. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So, who's going to shake up the kingdom of God? Anybody? Nobody. It cannot be shaken. You can't mess with this kingdom. Right? And so, everything's going to be shaking. God's going to do a big, big shaking. So there's one place you want to be when the shaking takes place. In the church. In the kingdom of God. Some people are saying, I want to be in heaven. No, man, be here. This is where it's happening. (laughs) This is where it's happening. This church will not be shaken. There'll be a great falling away because there's a shaking going on. If they're not planted in Christ, you'll see them flake away fall away there is a shaking coming but when that shaking coming we're not going to shake because we're seated on the rock christ jesus and so the book of revelation is the shaking of the nations and could i give you the plain and simple declaration of what this revelation of jesus is remember the book of revelation is about jesus say that name with me jesus okay because everybody thinks the book of revelation is about antichrist Antichrist. We all read it and all we see is Antichrist. It's going to be terrible. Somebody get out of that bondage and come to the place of what the book of Revelation is about. The revelation of Jesus. And what is he doing? Well, let's stay harmonious to the word of God. He is shaking the nations. He's bringing the time of the Gentiles. Basically, it is a gathering. He is gathering all the nations. Let's start with it. What's he doing? He's opening the seals. He is opening all the seals now of what is going to be the end days, the last, the final hurrah, if you will, and final revelation, the greatest revelation of who he is. That's what this is about. It's not about a revelation of who the Antichrist is. We spend, you know, how many TV preachers and evangelists spend so much time trying to figure out who is the Antichrist? Obviously, it's Obama. He's the Antichrist. Every president has been the Antichrist since 1970 or 1950. How many of you know that? Right? It's the Pope. It's the president. It's Idi Amin. It's any vicious... Right? How many of you read this? Right? Constantly. He's the Antichrist. He's the Antichrist. Would, would somebody look to Jesus who's king? This is a revelation of him. And he's just shaking this thing up. He is going to reveal himself. So what is this book all about? Gathering all the nations and gathering Israel. He's gathering all the nations against Israel so that when he shows up, baby, this is one show you're going to see. 
It's the ingathering. It's the coming back for Israel to recognize him as Lord and Messiah. Isn't that what Peter said? Didn't we hear that on the very first day of Pentecost? And in Acts 15, I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David, right? Because it's the ingathering of the Gentiles. And Peter said, you Jews who crucified Jesus, you listen to this, right? You will see that God has made him Lord and Messiah. And that was the beginning of the last days. Here's the ending. This is exactly what the book of Revelation is about. Make it real simple. Jesus is gathering all the nations. He's shaking it all up. He's going to use the devil to gather people together and gather the nations together. Bring them all over to Israel. In other words, come on, everybody, get in your seats. Come on over here. I got something to show you. Come on, everybody, get in your seats. Everybody get over here. Come on, let's go gather at Jerusalem. Come on over here, because when I come, you're all going to see who I am. And in that process of shaking, he's constantly revealing who he is through judgment so that, why? Why? So that more people would get saved. This is the whole revelation. That's the heart of Father. That's the heart of God. In fact, let me help you see this as I go further. Let me share with you a couple scriptures. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Say, no one could count. Okay, so I, I ask you to do this so that every now and then this gets lodged in your brain. Okay, so a number that no one could count. Mm, give me an estimate of what that would be. Anybody? Now, we can count. Western mind loves to count. We love to count. In Hebrew mind, they, they didn't bother to count. They would, they would say 10,000 upon 10,000. They they they, they're not into counting. They'd use numbers that basically meant a really lot of people. But the Western mind were like, well, we can count to a trillion. Right? We have numbers now past a trillion. What's after a trillion now? A zillion? I don't know if that's real, but gazillion, that's how I say it. A gazillion. And, and so biblical language is basically saying this. When he's saying, I am seeing a multitude which no man could count, what do you think he's trying to say? That's a gazillion lot of people. It's a really, 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 really a lot of people. Okay? You got my point? No one could count them from, from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. He goes on and the elder says, who are they? And John says, I don't know who they are, but you know who they are. Who are they? And the elder says, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are just those who are saved during what? Tribulation. That's a large body of people, wouldn't you say? That's why I've changed my view. You've heard me preach it, and I've taught it, that I believe the church is going through. Why? I, I just told you. These people are the church. If they're not the church, if the body of Christ is not the church, then who are these people? And isn't this the time that people could get saved? And how do you get saved? Is there only one name under heaven by which men can be saved? And if there's only one way to be saved is profess that name. And when you profess that name and get saved, what happens? You belong to the body of Christ, which is the church which is the bride of christ so this is a company a big number of people 
that have been martyred and killed and persecuted. Oh, well, wait a minute. See, see, they're going to get killed during the tribulation. I know. Can we go back to the chart on the third world uh, number of how many believers are in the third world? Because you've got to talk to them if you don't want your head chopped off. You know, if you don't want to die during the tribulation, talk to the rest of the world who is dying today for Christ. All right? It's just like really bizarre, this whole mentality. There is a rapture coming, brothers and sisters, but when the job's done, we'll go be with Jesus. During the tribulation, this is a big time for the job to be done. So my point is this, that in these end times, the church is glorious, glorious. People are getting saved. People are getting saved. Yes, the Antichrist is rising to power because Jesus is letting him. And the church is increasing and on fire. People are getting saved or they're turning to the beast. What's happening is the line of distinction is being clearly marked, clearly indicated. You're either for me or you're against me. And number upon number that cannot be numbered is coming to Christ. And so there's a kingdom of darkness against kingdom of light. And God's letting this kingdom of darkness rise while his kingdom as well increases. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, then the dragon was enraged at the woman. This is Israel because the woman has the man-child, which is Christ. And I'm not going to go through an entire treatise on the book of Revelation. You can purchase it in the tape room if you want it. The dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. There's a group of people that hold to the testimony of Jesus. That would mean that they're Jesus' people. And how do we classify Jesus' people? The church. So the dragon is coming after Israel. That's what God wanted. All nations turning to Israel. He's gathering the nations against Israel. He's coming against them, but God sovereignly protects Israel. The dragon's ticked, so who does he decide to go after? The church. And so he comes against the people who have a testimony of Jesus. And what will the church do? Proclaim Jesus. Bring the presence of Christ and immerse and teach and evangelize this world. Because, as Revelation 12 goes on to say, they overcame the dragon, or they overcame the devil. How? By the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb, right? Is that complete? Is that complete, the the things they did to overcome the devil? No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There are three things that enabled them to overcome the devil in that verse. We always stop short because we rapture out of that verse. (laughs) We do. We do. Read the verse in Revelation 12. What do we do? By the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and they love not their lives even unto death. It's a three-pronged defeated the enemy. Do you get this? The church, I'm, I'm going to love a, a world to death till I die. I'm going to present the presence of Jesus till I die. When you talk about people in the great tribulation, they don't want to go through all that pain. I'm sorry. Would you read this book? You gave up your life. Your life is no longer your own. 
You've given your life even unto death for Jesus Christ. But we don't die so that others would die. We die so that others will live. No greater love does a man have than this, that you would lay your life down for another. There are religions who will die for their faith, but they die for their faith in trying to kill other people. Christianity dies for the sake of loving another. I will give my life so that you can have life because I'm already there. I've got life. And this is how the church overcomes the devil and Satan in that time of tribulation by the power of their testimony, the blood of the Lamb, and they love not their life even unto death. That is the true demonstration of being immersed in Christ. We would give our lives as he gave his. Amen? We go on, Revelation 15, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God, and they sang the song of Moses and the servant of the Lamb. Sees another vision, and who does he see? Those who had died, where are they at? Around the sea of tears. And who are they? Those who overcame the beast. So they're specifically the church during the tribulation. Again, a victorious church, worshiping God. You see, what's happening is it's stepping up the power and the anointing and the immersion in the earth. It is so intense that the enemy hates it, and people literally begin to curse God. When God brings judgment, people begin to get so angry at God because they know there is a God. Read the book of Revelation. They get so angry at God, they begin to curse God. How do you think they get that that immersed into the presence of God? How do you think they became that cognizant and so aware of God? Because of an immersion of a church that's full of power and glory and brings the presence of God to the earth that people turn against God so deliberately and so distinctly that we hate Him. And they literally gather to fight Him. Is that goofy? That's how much their hatred towards God is. How did they have that pure of a revelation of who God is? presence of the church revelation 17 they will make war against the lamb but the lamb will overcome them because he is lord of lords and king of kings and with him will be his called his chosen his faithful followers when christ returns the gathering at armageddon the gathering together of the antichrist host and people who are going to come against israel it's down to the final hour And what happens? Revelation 19, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. 
Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword which will strike down the nations. He will rule over them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will return and the host of heaven will return with Him and those who are on the earth will be caught up in the twinkling of an eye, changed, transformed. We will be caught up in the air with Him and we will return in glory and power and might. A changed people forever. You don't have to agree with my eschatology. That's what fancy word for end times. You don't have to agree with this. It's okay. It's a peripheral doctrine. It's not essential to your salvation. There's pre-tribs, post-tribs, amillennialists, millennialists, post-millennialists, all this. So you don't have to agree with this. I'm just trying to harmonize as I interpret Scripture and see it in complete harmony with the other prophecies. And to me, I see a victorious church that's job is right up until the end to find faith on the earth and be productive with bringing all nations to the presence of Christ to where literally in this conflict they all gather at his feet. And in that day, Zechariah 12 says, Israel shall see him, one as whom they have pierced, an only son, and they shall come to faith. Wow. And this gospel shall be declared and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the immersion commission. Flood, flood, fill the nations with my presence. I fill you and pour my spirit in you to immerse you and saturate you in my being. The Father and the Son shall make their abode in you. Jesus shall baptize or immerse you in his spirit so that the body of Christ is so saturated and immersed in the presence of God, we will bring that immersion to all the nations. Christianity is growing and increasing daily. It is on fire and baptizing this earth in the presence of God. It's time for us in our little corner of the earth to begin immersing our community for Christ. It's time for us to go beyond this brick building and begin taking the presence and reality of Christ to your job, to your neighborhood, and where we work. We're going to fill this community with the presence of Christ. The other churches round about being stirred by the presence of God. It's not going to be about Methodist, Lutheran, Baptist, Pentecostal. It's going to be about such an immersion in the presence of God. People will gather together to confess our Lord. They're going to, again, change the way our society works. We're going to change the language as we talked about last week. We're going to change the way people speak and identify things. There's going to be such an immersion of the presence of God that ethics and morality will once again change to a Christian mindset because it is the only thing that sustains and propagates a healthy life this is the answer that the world needs and we have waited and paused long enough it's time to break off the escapism mentality and get back to work at bringing this gospel to our community are you with me let's bow our heads